Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Sometimes I think we have too much fun here. (laughs) This is not part of my sermon. I I sometimes wonder, you know, if if people come from a very quiet church and they're at New Spring for the first time and they don't know quite what they're getting in for. (laughs) But I pray they love every minute of it, you know. We are just having a great time. And what a joy to celebrate those wonderful leaders in Black History Month because so much... You know, that's been on my heart to do for a long time because, you know, so much of our worship services today are shaped by these wonderful, wonderful leaders. Many of them never got the notice or credit for what they did. And, of course, I know the Lord will reward them in heaven. But it's been a joy for us at New Spring to step back a little bit in time and remember that we stand on the shoulders of great people, you know, who, who have brought us by their testimony and their faith a long way to where we are today. Well, we are in a war, and I've been talking about it for the last three weeks, but our war is never against people. I don't know that I could ever say that enough. I really do believe that one of the great tricks of Satan is to get Christians focused on the problems and blaming people, because when that happens, something goes very sideways. Our war is never against human beings. The Word of God tells us we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We do not fight against people. And we don't use human weapons. By the way, I see Worlds of Warfare 3 coming. I I don't even think I'm going to make it to 2022. I want to bring you a series, Worlds of Warfare 3, The Weapons. And we'll probably do that this fall. Because the Bible tells us the weapons of our warfare are mighty through the power of God to the pulling down of strongholds. And we need that today. I mean, here's the thing. I really think one of the things that I watch happening in the church today, and I didn't say this in the other services, but I really think that God is weeding out the weapons of this world for Christians so that we have to depend on spiritual weapons like prayer and worship and praise and the Holy Spirit. Well, that's for another series, but it is getting hot out there. I mean, I I finished the message last night and went home and opened my newsfeed, and I could see that even since I preached that message in the world, Satan and his demons are attacking more fiercely than ever before. Persecution of Christians in India is heating up. In China, and, and I just read this last night, the Chinese government in many different provinces is demanding that churches take down the cross and put up the five-pointed star of communism. And, and that's just happening around the world, but we're watching it even here in the United States. You know, for most of my life, the battle, I'm talking about the battle against Satan and his demons was there, but it was kind of in the background. I love to study history, and at the beginning of the Civil War, I've read 
with interest that the war got close enough to Washington, D.C. to be seen and heard, but not close enough to be a threat. And this is a fact of history, that the upper crust, the elite, the well-to-do, would go out to the edge of that safe area and have picnics and watch the battle. And I think to myself, a lot of my spiritual warfare has been like that. I, I see what's going on in China. I see what's going on in India. I watch what's going on in parts of Africa where your brothers and sisters are being persecuted and their lives are being threatened and even lives are lost in those places. But here in the United States, I've been far enough away from that that, you know, I could watch it happen. But now we're watching it heat up even where we live. And it's faster than most of us could have ever imagined. We live in a world today where the powers that are are holding the microphones for Satan to talk. And right is now wrong, and wrong is right. Purity is evil, and perversion is worshipped. And if you stand for the truth, or if you stand for what the Word of God says, you're called a hater. You're not a hater. And, and somehow, I never can seem to understand how this happens. The real haters wind up posturing as virtuous. But we shouldn't be fooled by that, and we should not be surprised. The Bible tells us that before judgment falls, and this has been historic. And it's been precedential throughout the word of God and through history that right before the judgment of God falls, the Bible says people are like this. They mock the Holy One of Israel. They say that right is wrong and what is wrong is right. And that is the world that you and I are living in right now. And the battle is heating up and it's moving faster than any of us could have imagined. But we must grasp this. There is a fundamental reason for it. When I talk to Christ followers today, wherever they're on the political spectrum, they typically will talk to me about what's going on politically. And I understand that politically there's a manifestation of deeper issues. But ladies and gentlemen, our problems in the world and in America are not political. There's something more foundational, something more fundamental. If you're on one side of the spectrum and you feel like if everybody got into office on your side of the spectrum, or if you're on the other side and you felt the same way, I need to let you know that would not solve the brokenness that's in our world today. Our problem is so much deeper than politics. The word of God tells us what our problem is. And if you think it's anything other than this, you're gonna be disappointed and you're gonna have a hard time navigating what lies ahead. The Bible tells us that in the last days, and this is in Revelation chapter 12 and the 12th verse, the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has little time. Whatever else you may think about the devil, you have to give him credit for one thing. He does believe God. He knows that when God says something, God means what he says. 2,000 years ago, his doom was settled. When Je and we'll talk about this in a minute. When Jesus died on the cross and when he walked out of the grave under his own power, it was game, set, match. It was over for the devil, and he knows it. He knows his time is short, and he's pulling out all the stops. And please, New Spring, never forget this that the people who are holding up the microphone for Satan are just as much his victims as anyone else is. In fact, I would argue they're more his victims. As Christ followers, we may be victimized by Satan and his demons, but for us, the best is yet to come. But for those poor people who fall under his trap, and right now they are advancing his cause, they don't understand that he hates them and he's using them. Satan's time is running out and he knows it is. And, you know, it's just like any other any other rational being that when our time runs out, we get desperate and we get, we get more frustrated. Well, what does that mean for us? Well, I believe with all my heart, we could be the generation of warriors who are chosen to be in the game in the last two minutes. 
We just finished a football season. And you know about the final two minutes of the game. That's where the game is, game is typically won or lost. And what a, what a privilege it is to be considered worthy for the coach to put you in the game in the last two minutes. Now, there are people who don't want to be in the game in the last two minutes. They want to sit on the bench and lose their helmet. But there are people, there are players who say, just give me the rock. I mean, just let me be out there on the field in the last two minutes of the game. Daughter of God, I believe you've been chosen to be a warrior for the last two minutes of the game, if you'll let me mix my metaphors. If you're a son of God, you, you have been chosen not to sit in your underwear in the basement and play video games. You've been chosen by God to be a warrior for these last days. Men up. Men up. That was cool to hear the ladies say amen on that. <laughs> and remember what we've learned. We never fight against people. We're actually behind enemy lines to rescue the people on the other side and tell them that there's another way to live. And God help us to be great examples of Jesus when we're behind enemy lines. But here is the question, and there's no getting around it. Will we stand or will we cave? I mean, will we swallow the cultural babble with its self-invented standards of right and wrong? And will we go along just to be popular and just to be accepted? Or will we hold on to the real truth of God's word, even though it puts us in the minority? And hey, New Springers, never worry about being in the minority because God's always worked with minorities. God has, a, I mean, that, that's always been the case. In fact, there have been some times where God has told his leaders, you got too many people. Because God loves to win with minorities because when he wins with the minority, then he gets all the glory and the victory. So never worry about being in the minority with God. I really believe I have a message for you today. I mean, I always preach the word of God, I pray. But there are seasons and moments as in my pastorate where I feel like the Holy Spirit has said, this is the exact word for the exact day. And so, because of that, I close out Worlds of Warfare 2 behind enemy lines with one sentence that God showed me about six months ago. Now, there's some other good sentences in this verse, but I'll get to one that this whole message is about. And I think it's where we need to end the series today. It's Isaiah chapter 14. I want to begin reading in the 24th verse. The Lord of heaven's armies. Now, heaven's armies is always a reference in the Old Testament to angels, the angel armies. By the way, do you remember the story in the Old Testament where there was a, an, a physical army? It was the army of Syria that surrounded a prophet and his assistant. And the assistant was going crazy. And if you remember the story, Elisha, the prophet, prayed, Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And when his eyes were open, he could see chariots of fire, chariots of angels that had surrounded the army that had surrounded them. Isn't it great to know that God is surrounding the army that surrounded you today? The Lord of heaven's armies, that's God Almighty, has sworn this oath. Now, God speaks, but this time God swore an oath. That's pretty serious. It will all happen as I have planned. It will be as I have decided. Could I say to anybody in office, in power, whether it's the Chinese premier, whether it's some American president, whether it's some dictator, whether it's some parliament, could I just remind them all, it will be as God has planned. It will be as he has decided. And here is my sentence, and I love this with all my heart. I have a plan, God says. I have a plan for the whole earth. 
I love that. I have a plan for the whole earth. Hey, for all of us, we love America, but God's plan is bigger than the United States. God's plan is bigger than our race. God's plan is bigger than the people that we like and the people who like us. God says, I have a plan for the whole earth. The Lord of heaven's armies has spoken. And I love this. Who can change his plans? And when his hand is raised, who can stop him? For all of you who are stressed and worried today about the world going to hell in a handbasket, could I invite you along with me to all take a deep breath and think about something? Let me give you a sentence to think about. I am safe because I am part of God's unstoppable, unbeatable, unchangeable plan. Could we say it one more time? Say it with me. I am safe because I'm part of God's unstoppable, unbeatable, unchangeable plan. Well, we live in some strange times, but it's really critical for us to understand if God has a plan for the whole world, our times just fit into a bigger picture. So today, I want to I just do something crazy. I'm not above that, as you know. <laughs> for those of you, I've been your pastor for a lot of years. I just want to take us all the way through the plan. Now, I would be nervous if I came to church and it's 1156 and I haven't eaten lunch yet and the pastor just says he's going to preach the whole Bible. That would make me nervous. But we're going to get on our horse and ride and we're going to move quickly. Hey, where would you find the earliest chronological narrative in the Bible? Well, you say maybe Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, maybe. Do you, do you know where you would have to go to find the oldest narrative in the Bible? The chapter we're in right now. Did you know that? Isaiah chapter 14. It's the this, it's this same chapter where God says, I have a plan for the whole earth. Because right before that, God has given us the earliest narrative in history. So let's go there. Well, we know from the Bible that God created the universe. And after the universe, he created some very special living beings. We call them angels. I know exactly why. I mean, who ever knows why God does what he does? He just does things for his own glory and for his own name. So God decided he wanted helpers. And he created angels. And, and people say, what does an angel look like? I've read the Bible. I think they, they have all different kinds of appearances. I just know this, they're, they're God's helpers. And if you were part of the series I did on angels two or three years ago, you know that the word of God tells us in Hebrews that they're sent to help those of us who are inheriting salvation. His, his goal for them was to do his work. But you must understand one thing about any of God's living creations. He always gives us choice. He always gives us free will. Why is that important? Because a lot of people have asked me, if God knew that human beings were going to sin, why did he create us with the ability to choose? Why didn't he just give us, why didn't he just create us with no ability to sin? Well, everybody in love knows the answer to that one. If you could force somebody to love you, where's the love? If you, if you could force someone to be a robot, an automaton that did everything you wanted them to do, where's the relationship? So consequently, God in his sovereign wisdom knew that the only way that he could have real relationship with his creation is to give all of his creation the ability to choose. And he did that for the angels. And let me tell you where everything went south and what leads to the narrative that you and I are about to look at. The most beautiful, the most powerful of the angels was Lucifer. It seems that God put him in charge of leading the other angels in worship. 
In the book of Ezekiel, we see some interesting things about Lucifer. I'm not sure I can really know with specificity. Maybe when we get to heaven, if we still care about it, God will show us. But it it does appear that Lucifer was the most beautiful of the angels, so much so that his outer appearance was like gemstones, as light would shine on. There's even one indication that when he walked, there there were reeds on his body that created music. And I guess Satan just looked in the mirror too long, Lucifer, And he decided to himself, I don't know why God should have all the props. I should have some too. Let's read. Because in Isaiah chapter 14, we're about to read the earliest narrative in the history of God's plan. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, mighty though you were against the nations of the world? For you said to yourself, I will, look at the I wills. I will ascend to heaven and rule the angels. I will take the highest throne. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. And God, of course, you know, (laughs) that was stupid of Satan to say what he would do because God responds to that and said, instead, you will be brought down to the pit of hell, down to its lowest depths. Everyone there will stare at you and ask, can this be the one who shook the earth and the kingdoms of the world? Well, there is one other painful thing about this revolution that Satan started. He wound up taking one-third of the angels with him. We read about this in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 12, the Bible says there was war in heaven. Now, that's a strange place for a war to happen. But there was war in heaven. There was a revolution. Michael, the archangel, Michael and the angels under his command fought the dragon. That's a term for Satan. And his hosts of fallen angels. And Satan lost the battle and was forced from heaven. Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down onto the earth with all his army. Well, that's why you and I are in a war today. Because Satan has been kicked out of heaven. But unfortunately, he's been kicked down to where we are, and there's another complicating factor. In fact, there's an immensely complicating factor that makes it far worse. If you go forward in God's plan, there was a moment where God decided he wanted a big family. He didn't just want angels. He wanted creations that were made in his image. And that's when he created humans, men and women. Now, one thing that doesn't get talked about a whole lot in church and needs to be talked about a whole lot more because the fact of the matter is you have to understand this to understand the whole world and the plan of the world. When God created human beings, Adam and Eve, and by the way, we were all inside of them genetically at that moment, he gave to human beings kingdom authority. Do you know that? Look at this. This is in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. This will prove it. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Look at the next two verbs. Govern, reign. Hey, that's, that's really cool to know. When God created human beings, he gave them the management of the planet. Not, not, not in the sense that God oversaw things, but he gave them responsibility. He gave them kingdom authority over the world and all of its systems. Lurking in the background is a fallen angel and all his demons. And Satan is watching God's creation of human beings, and instantly he hates them because he hates God. He hates everything God loves. That's the reason why he comes against your children. He comes against your marriage. God loves your marriage. God loves your children, and he hates that, and he comes against them. And so as he watched God in his creating of human beings, Satan knew that all he had to do was to lure God's new creation into doing what he did because, after all, 
Whenever God creates living beings, what does he always do? He gives us choice. He gives us the opportunity to decide. He, 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 and, and here's the thing. God threw the slowest pitch in history to Adam and Eve. He basically said, there's only one rule in the world. Don't break it. And it wasn't about the tree. It wasn't about the fruit. It was just that God had to give them a choice. And he didn't say, you can eat the fruit from half the trees and the other half you can't have. God said, you can have it all except for one. Didn't matter about the tree, didn't matter about the fruit so much. It was just that God had to give them the opportunity to have choice. And Satan stood back and watched that, and he thought, all I have to do is to lure them into doing what I did, and the same thing that happened to them, to me, will happen to them. And on top of that, that authority thing will pass to me. Oh, it's so important that we understand that. Bible students, do you remember there was a character in the Bible who wanted to, he wanted his brother's birthright. It was Jacob who wanted Esau's birthright. I mean, Esau had the rights of primogenitor of being the oldest child and all the spiritual blessings that devolved to that older child. And Jacob wanted that. And Jacob was cooking chili one day and Esau, he was not the most spiritual person in the world. He came in, smelled the chili, he'd been out hunting And he said, uh, give me some of your chili. And Jacob said, well, you'll have to sell me your birthright. But for your birthright, I'll give you a bowl of chili. And it was the worst trade in history unless you consider the one that Adam and Eve made. Because when Adam and Eve sinned against God, they surrendered their birthright over to Satan. And it happened. Satan came along and he swindled our parents, Adam and Eve. And by the way, we were with them at that moment because we were all genetically inside of them. He swindled our first parents out of their destiny. He swindled them out of kingdom authority. And Satan had to say to himself, I win. I have authority now. The world will be my kingdom. Maybe I won't rule heaven, but I'll rule this. And humans will be my slaves because they will forever be lost like we angels. God will have to give up on them. But think God did the one thing that Satan never anticipated. God decided to give humans a second chance. He didn't do that with the angels. That's why when you get over into the New Testament, the Bible tells us Peter was the one who was telling us the angels are intrigued by salvation. They just are intrigued. They love to look into what's going on. That's the why when Jesus was teaching, he said, when one sinner repents, the angels rejoice in heaven. Why? Because they're saying God did something for them that he didn't even do for us. So God surprised Satan and Adam and Eve by telling them he has a plan to give human beings another chance. And for the, in the first verse in the Bible that starts talking about Jesus, it's in Genesis chapter 3. And of all people, God wasn't talking to Adam. He wasn't talking to Eve. He was talking to Satan. Did you know that? The first time the Bible tells us Jesus is coming is God speaking to Satan. And oh, by the way, it's a threat. It's a threat. God said to Satan, from now on, you and the woman will be enemies, as will your offspring and her offspring. That's the first reference to the virgin birth in the Bible. And then here is Jesus, here's God's threat to Satan. You will strike his heel. That's the cross. It only takes about three days to get over hill bruise, right? You will strike his heel, but he will cave your head in. That's my Texas translation. So God now is going to do something for you and me that he didn't do for the angels. He's going to give us another chance. But how? 
Here's one thing you must know about God. You know, see, people say, well, he did it because he's a God of love. Fair, but that's nowhere close to being accurate. God is a God of love. I mean, whatever the spectrum of love is, I mean, wherever we fall on the spectrum of being loving, you can go to the furthest extreme of the spectrum and God will be there. He is infinitely loving, but hang on. God is also a God of justice. And I don't know where we are on the spectrum of justice, but you can go all the way to the edge of the spectrum of justice and you will find God because he is a God of both justice and love. Now, here's the thing, and this is maybe one of the most important things I'll ever tell you on this stage. Every sin will be paid for. Every sin in your life must be paid for. Every sin in my life must be paid for. Now, if we didn't know the end of the story, that would scare us to death. Because I, don't, I can't even pay for one sin, much less all the rap sheet of sin that I have throughout my life. But every sin must be paid for. How? 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 How's it going to be paid for? Angels can't do it. No descendant of Adam can do it because we're all defiled by sin. Every person who has a human father, according to Genesis 3, every person who has a human father is defiled by sin. Romans 5.13 spells it out. Sin into the world by one man, death through sin. In this way, death came to all men because all sin. Socrates said to Plato one day, it may be that the Almighty can forgive sin, but I don't see how. But let's not forget where we started. The Lord of heaven's armies has sworn this oath. It will happen as I have planned. It will be as I have decided. I have a plan for the whole earth. Well, what kind of book is the Bible? Is it a history book? Is it a science book? Is it a, is, is, is it a religious book? I'll tell you what it is. It's, a, it's the story of a plan. Whenever you open the Bible, it is a single plan. It's the word of God. You know, through the years, I've had skeptics say to me, how do you know a, guy, a group of guys didn't get together in a room and make it up? That's such a stupid question, but I'll go ahead and address it. First of all, the Bible was written over a period of 1,600 years by over 40 different authors who most were not connected with each other. On top of that, it is a book of extraordinary, perfect integrity. I mean, here's the deal. I've been preaching in this church for 36 years. You can't even get all my sermons to agree with each other. I mean, there, there are times when I preach sermons and I just grimace when I look back at what I preached 25 years ago. But this is an extraordinary book. Like I said, it's 66 books written over a period of 1,600 years by over 40 different authors, and yet it has a miraculous integration with itself. So what is the Bible? It's a plan. It's the story of a plan. Now, to understand the story of that plan, there, there, are, like, there are like two major segments I think you would have to call the first segment, we, we often refer to the Old Testament uh, as the Old Testament, but it's the story of Israel. I mean, God creates Adam and Eve. They have descendants that have descendants that have descendants, and they get more and more wicked because Satan is flexing his muscle, and he's trying to fight against God and stop God's plan from coming together. When the world gets so wicked, finally God has to say, okay, it's time for 2.0. He sends the flood, but he does find, this is the thing I love about God. He is always looking for men and women who will follow him. The word of God says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro, looking for people whose hearts are fully committed to him. And even though the world got so bad in Genesis 6, he found one person in his family who were faithful, Noah, and he sent the flood. And then years passed, centuries passed, 
And one day God found a guy by the name of Abraham and his wife, Sarah, and God said to this couple, I'm going to start a nation out of you. So when you read the Old Testament, it's pretty much the story of Israel. It's the story of a nation. It starts with Abraham and his family, and then about 70 of them go to Egypt, and about two and a half million come out of Egypt 400 years later, and then God brings them into a promised land, and ultimately he gives them kings. Here is the thing about the first section of the Bible, if you want to understand the plan of God. When God chose Israel, he chose Israel as his people to do two things, to give the world two things. Number one, to give the world his word, the Bible and to give the world a savior. Because in order to understand Jesus being our savior, you must see him as coming through the nation of Israel, which by the way, every child of God should love Israel because God loves Israel. That doesn't mean Israel's perfect any more than the church is perfect, but I'll tell you this, if you're the enemy of Israel, you're the enemy of God because Israel is God's chosen people. But out of this nation, God did what he promised. I mean, starting in the book of Genesis 3.15, we read it a few moments ago. Genesis chapter 49, God said that a star would be associated with his birth. Uh, Excuse me, that's Numbers 24. Genesis 49, there would be a descendant of the tribe of Judah. God told David that one of his descendants would sit on the throne forever. I mean, that is the story of the Old Testament. God working his plan. And pretty well, God works his plan throughout the nation of Israel, although he called people from all other, uh, other countries as well. But the whole story of the Old Testament is that there is a Savior. God has a plan, and he is sending his champion. And we read in the book of Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, but when the right time came, God sent his son, made of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Oh, I wish I had time to teach on that when just the right time came. Jesus was born at a time when the world was just ready and prepared. For one thing, there was Pax Romana. There was a Roman peace that pretty well brought the world together. There was the Greek language, which is pretty much the universal language. I would still say Greek is perhaps the most definitive language. And the New Testament would be written in Greek. There was the Roman system of roads so that the gospel gospel could be taken to the whole world at just the right time. God sent his son Jesus into the world, made of a woman. In other words, he was human, just like you and me, but he was also God. He was as much human as though he were never God. He was as much God as though he were never human. And now we can see for the first time how God is going to execute his plan. And it's the answer to Plato and Socrates asking the question, how could the almighty forgive sin? Because God sends his perfect son into the world who was human, who could could reach out with one hand and put his hand on our shoulder and reach out with his other hand and put his hand on God and bring us together. I think it's interesting that when Jesus died on the cross, he died with his arms stretched out so that he could pull us together with God and give us another chance and execute God's plan. Now God is always doing the unexpected because when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, you would think the story would be over. The plan's been executed. But as I said, God does the most extraordinary thing. Jesus doesn't take possession. The kingdoms now, he's earned them, he's bought them. But God has something in mind to say, not quite ready for my son to take possession. There needs to be a longer period of time where people have an opportunity to express a free will. And God's idea was something called the church. Now, the church is not a building with a steeple or a cross on it. The church is people. 
The Greek word for church means called out, and it means we belong to the one who called us. And so God had his chosen nation, Israel, and now Jesus is going to have his posse. And God said, you know, I'm going to have a church. And Jesus said, upon this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we're about 2,000 years into that. But you know what? It's not going to continue on forever because we know from the Old Testament and the New Testament that there is a seven-year period of time coming. And this seven-year period of time is a time where God's going to finish things up on this earth as we know it. For one thing, he's got some unfinished business with Israel. And then it's going to be the tribulation period where things are going to be worse than they've ever been before. But we're part of the church age. God's got to get us out of the way. He can't wait for us to, you know, keep dying and be born and keep dying. I mean, he's got to get us out all at one time because we'll be in the way. And that's where the rapture comes in. You know, whenever you think about the return of Jesus, always remember this. He comes back twice. He comes back at the beginning of the tribulation, and he comes back at the end of the tribulation. These two comings are spelled out for us in the Bible, and they're very different. The first time Jesus returns, his feet don't touch the earth. The Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we go to meet him. It happens, the Bible says, I talked about this a few weeks ago, it happens in a time frame so short it can't be divided, so it's less than a second. Bam, we're with him. The second time he comes is at the end of the tribulation. And he's coming to fight Armageddon and to set up his kingdom, his thousand-year kingdom. This time his feet will touch the earth. And by the way, we will be with him. Now, here's the thing. We are waiting for the rapture. I think we're really, really close. And then, then there will be a tribulation period, the seven-year period. And then Jesus is coming back with us to set up his kingdom. And then there will be something that theologians call the eternal state. It just means we're there forever in heaven. We're not going to be here on the earth at this moment, but in the, toward the end of the tribulation, there is this cool verse. In Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, and by the way, I, I, know I don't have, I'm, I'm out of time here, and I'm probably going to raise more questions with this than I answer, but in the book of the Revelation, as the Bible spells out the tribulation, there are three series of, of seven judgments. They're what the Bible calls seven seal judgments, the seven uh, trumpet judgments, and then the seven bowl judgments. At whatever that seventh seal is, in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, the Bible says this, the seventh angel blew his trumpet. There were loud voices and shouting in heaven. The world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. I mean, it's like in the worst part of the tribulation, there will be an angel that will step out and conduct a press conference and say, excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, I just need to make an announcement. Up in heaven, even though the world is going through the tribulation, something big happened the, the Lord has just taken possession of the kingdoms of all this world. That's why when Handel wrote the Messiah, when he wrote the Hallelujah Chorus, he chose this verse because at that moment, as you raise the Hallelujah in worship today, there will be a Hallelujah in the worst part of the tribulation. The world has just become the possession of the Lord in his Christ. He's finally taken possession of what he won on Calvary's cross and solidified when he walked out of his grave. Cool thing. It's when Jesus comes at that moment with us, 
Well, let's read this. This is in Revelation 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven open, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. That's Armageddon. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. I cannot wait for the first press conference Jesus holds. How about that? As we said, that'll kick off the thousand-year reign of Christ and then the eternal state. I bring this to you today because about 2,800 years ago, an old prophet wrote what the Holy Spirit told him to write. The Lord of heaven's armies has said, it will happen as I planned. It will be as I've decided. I have a plan for the whole earth. The Lord of heaven's armies has spoken. Who can change his plans and who can stop him? Behind me, you see a screen with a chart of God's plan. God created the universe. He created Adam and Eve, the nation of Israel. Earlier, the fall of Satan. You come some 4,000 years later and you have the earthly life of Christ. And here we are in the church age. And we look down the road and we see the Rapture and the second coming of Christ, the millennial kingdom and the eternal state and the seven-year period of tribulation. Mary Alice and I were in Phoenix the other day. We were at a shopping mall, and it was all new to us. And I saw a directory. Of course, we didn't know our way around. It was a huge shopping center. But I remember looking at the directory and seeing a little sticker that said, you are here. I believe with all my heart, you and I are here. We are so close to the coming of Jesus. May God help us as daughters and sons of the king to accept our assignment and not cave. I mean, why would we cave? Why would we defect through the losing side? Why why would we give up our destiny? Why would we give up our birthright and start caving and trying to fit into a a losing system when in reality, we're on the side of the the king of kings who has already won the battle and we're just waiting for him to take possession. I really believe with all my heart what I preach today, that God's plans will come true. But there is one place where his plan could break down. Not for the world, but individually. Because right now, God loves the whole world so much that he reaches out with his marvelous plan of second chances. And he invites you to join him, to become his daughter, to become his son. Every sin has to be paid for, but you can't pay for it. For you to pay for it, you'd have to go to hell and spend eternity. That's the only way you and I can pay for our sins. But God right now has an offer on the table where he actually paid your sin debt for you. That's how he can offer you another chance. That was his plan. He would send his son Jesus into the world, and he would live the perfect life you can't live. And then he would lay on a cross and hang there for six hours And his blood would be shed for you. And that would be an offering to God to pay for your sins. So that right now, God can offer you a deal. He can say, if you'll come like you are, you don't have to bring anything. You don't have to join a church. You don't have to do community service. You don't have to be religious. You just have to come by faith and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord and what he's done for you. 
there's a verse in the Old Testament that I love so much. It just warms my heart every time I read it. A very wise woman said this to King David. She said, all of us must die eventually. And that's true. Our lives are like water spilled out on the ground which cannot be gathered again. I love this line. But God does not just sweep life away. Instead, he devises ways to bring us back when we have been separated from him. The same God who planned the universe is working his plan in your life to draw you to him. You could be here today and it's an accident. He's like, I don't know why I came here today. I came here with my girlfriend. She didn't tell me. It just, I'm guessing. Or maybe you t- your parents talked you into coming. Or maybe you just said, I'm going to try that crazy church out. And you're right, aren't you? <laughs> don't you know that's part of God's plan? God devises ways. He figures out stuff to draw us to him when we've been estranged. And today I want to close out this service by giving you an offer, not my offer, but God's offer. If you're willing, you can accept Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross. You can receive that and instantly all your sins you've ever have committed or ever will commit are stamped paid in full. And when God looks at your record in heaven, it will say, see the record of Jesus Christ. I love his plan, don't you? I love his plan for the whole earth. So let's do it. Let, let's, let's pray right now. I'm going to pray this prayer slowly, and I'll say it line by line. If you decide you want to repeat it, you don't have to say these words. The main thing is what you mean in your heart. You ready? Dear God, I know I am a sinner. I don't want to pay for my sin. I would have to go to hell to do that. But that's not your plan. I believe you love me. I believe Jesus died for my sin. I believe he arose from the grave. I accept your offer. I receive Jesus as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for hearing my prayer and making me God's child. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this is a deal. This is a deal. I will, this is an offer I will make. If you just pray to receive Christ, Here's the deal. I have a gift box for you. It won't cost you anything. It's got a New Spring Bible in it. It's got a book I wrote that I believe will answer a lot of questions, a little journal in it, some other cool stuff. It's free. It won't cost you. We just want to help you take your first steps. So if you're on our campus today and you just pray with me and take out your cell phone, text the word prayed, P-R-A-Y-E-D to 97,000. And then go to any info center. They'll be waiting for you with this. If you don't have your phone with you or you just don't want to go through that, you can just go back to any guest service or info center and say, I prayed with Mark. They won't hassle you, stalk you, ask for your routing number. They just want to give you this. If you're watching online or watching on television, all you got to do is text PRAYED, P-R-A-Y-E-D to 97,000 and follow the steps and we'll mail this to you free of charge. Thank you for being here. Aren't you glad our God's got a plan? Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.